I hope some of you have stories from this week where God has used you, worked in your life, or the week before. Last week we showed a video of uh, Denise Matthews. She went by the stage name Vanity. She worked primarily with Prince or beginning of her career with Prince. And her story of, uh, she, and she just passed away last week, her story of how God came to her. Uh, she was in a coma, expected to live no more than three days from a cocaine overdose, crack cocaine. And the Lord said, get rid of vanity and I will save you. The persona vanity. Uh, it's interesting somebody would have that persona. That was the stage name, is vanity. But she did that. And she walked away from her career. She got rid of all of her videos, all of her tapes, even interviews. And she even relinquished the rights to the royalties from every bit of art she had done. She cut herself off from the old life. She struck out in faith on a new life with Jesus Christ. Where she was going to live three days, I think she lived 21 years sharing the gospel. Something that captured me about her message was how she continually talked about the joy she had. How she continually saw that she had a message for everyone. A message about salvation, a message about a savior. She did dialysis three times a day. She had only one good eye, one good ear, living on borrowed time for 21 years. And in that lifestyle, which most of us would complain and be bitter about, she saw the joy of the Lord. And she experienced it, and she went everywhere giving it to other people. And she said, in a grocery store anywhere, you say hello to me, that was the moment I'm going to tell you about Jesus. She saw that as the opportunity. That was the green light to say something about Jesus. Now, we might think of that as pushy. We might think of that as intimidating. But it really depends on what your message is about Jesus. You see, she saw it as a great news story. She saw it as something that was such a blessing to offer to people. She didn't see it as a correction of your life, a correction of your thinking, of your politics, of the way you live your life. She didn't see it as a way to talk about the things you've done wrong or doing wrong or how you're wired wrong, but she saw it as something that was good news for anyone who heard it. First and foremost, she saw it as a message of good news for herself. You see, she experienced the gospel. She was living the gospel. I, I have this conviction. I really think much of the church understands the gospel has an understanding, maybe even uh, an appreciation of the gospel. 
But I don't know how much we have actually experienced the gospel. I don't know that our life is characterized by a joy that exemplifies the presence of the gospel. I don't know that we live in that place where if our life was so physically compromised that every day is a borrowed day, that we would indeed see that we are living in an amazing joy. And we would see that we are not in a compromised place where we can't share the gospel because our life sucks, but we see that we have an amazing gospel and there's every reason to share the gospel. How many of you have in one point or another not shared the gospel because you think your life didn't support the message? My hand is up. Both my hands are up. You see, she saw nothing wrong with her testimony. It is probably difficult to share the gospel if you don't experience the gospel. If you don't, if you're not in a place where the gospel carries some real intrinsic value, a built-in value, a value that goes beyond life and death and circumstances and politics. It goes beyond your, your race. It goes beyond everything, that there's a gospel somehow that has so, is so compelling and so important. You see, if our gospel is just a part of our repertoire, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands. This is a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it. Just answer it in your mind. How many of you have purchased vitamins you never used? Supplements you never used? Weight equipment or exercise equipment you never used? I have some exercise equipment under my parents, uh, the bed at my parents' house. I bet it's 25 years old. I never used it, not one time. You know, a lot of these things, we still believe in them. You know, if somebody were to say, hey, do you know a vitamin that really can work for this? And I go, you know, I've done some research, and I really think this is a great vitamin for this. What about if I want to, you know, take care of this, and I want a six-pack? For those of you listening on video, I'm pointing to my stomach as a six-pack and not just one you get in the cold section at the store. But, but I want this. There are many of you who could, who could describe how to best do that. And some of you who could do that have never had a six-pack of the kind that we're speaking of in this context. You see, we might have an appreciation or a knowledge but not so much an experience that compels. In fact, our experience, most often in that case, keeps us shying away from talking about, you know, a health issue. You know, you can go to Subway, and you can get the foot long with all the stuff on it. There is nothing that will slim you about eating that. and the little chocolate chip cookie that you eat after that. 
along with the Coke. There you go. The church cannot be the church without an experiential gospel. The church will not survive. It will not display. It will not reveal God. It will not have a capacity to operate in its very purpose, in its nature, without an experiential gospel. You can't and you won't share a gospel that is not your own. For many of us who keep waiting for God to show up and miraculously and rightly align your life in such a way uh, supernaturally that the gospel becomes obvious in your life. So, you know, you wake up tomorrow, you have no addictions, you have no anger issues, you don't have no mother issues, no father issues, you got no children issues, you have no porn issues, no lust issues, no, you know, you're just all of a sudden, you, man, you're redeemed. And we say, God, now I can go talk about the gospel that has saved me. Is that why the church doesn't talk so much about a gospel that saves? John Wimber had a line that he became a little bit famous for. He was talking with God, arguing with God, because God wasn't healing people when he prayed for the sick. And he wanted to stop preaching on healing the sick. And God said, I want you to preach my truth, not your experience. Those are powerful words. I have no idea where I am in here. But that looks good to me. Jesus' truth is the critical foundation of the gospel, not my experience, not your experience. It is his truth. Jesus wants his truth to influence and affect our experiences, not the other way around. So we cannot build the the gospel truth around our experiences. We have to build it around his truth. And then we have to allow that truth to continue to work into our experiences. Uh, Denise Matthews, uh, she'll tell you, I mean, when you read like a bullet form of people's testimony, it always sounds a little more like, I was about to say miraculous, but it's all miraculous. It sounds a little more instantaneous than it really is. You know, Jesus saves her. She wakes up. She renounces her old lifestyle. She gives up all these things. She becomes an evangelist for Jesus for 20 years. I said, wow, why can't it happen like that for me? But when you, when you hear her talk about her story, she says, it was rough. It was up and down. I was all over the place. I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to be a Christian. What do they do? I mean, how do they, like, live normal? 
the same kind of questions we would have. You don't have to be rich and famous to go, I don't know how to make this work. How can I be a sold out, on fire, live and die for Jesus, you know, and go to Baskin Robbins and, you know, put ice cream in someone's hair? And, you know, how, how can I do normal life and be a sold out, devoted follower of Jesus Christ, someone who is experiencing the gospel? That's attention. Just welcome to the tension. That's the tension of the gospel. You live in a fallen world, and you live a life of redemption. You live a life of the future in the present. It's the tension. So if you try to fix that tension by saying, one of these is not true. You know, the effects of this world are not true. The effects of the gospel are not true. If you try to make one of these right and one of these wrong, then you will stand still for your entire life. And at the end of your days, the gospel will have affected nothing. So today, I welcome you into the tension of the gospel that operates powerfully and miraculously in a strange and fallen and incredible and weird world where people are angry and hurt and misunderstood and judged, where we hate, where we kill, where we sacrifice, where we love, where we show honor, where we hurt one another, where we have greed and power struggles. That's the place. The gospel is at work. Don't try to separate those. The gospel came to do something in that place. That's you. That's me. That's experiencing the gospel. If I kill the people who are trying to kill me, I am not experiencing the gospel. It opens up a world that the Holy Spirit has to lead us through. So we start with the truth that has the power to be experiential in this life, in this time. John uh, 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Those are powerful words. They are words that should anchor the gospel, not just for you, but for those around you who don't know the way. You see, if you have the gospel, you have the way, you have the truth, you have the light, and you serve a father, you serve a Lord that loves everybody around you and wants them to have the way, the truth, and the light. I want us to look at a gospel-affected life, and this is really out of Galatians we, we looked at last week. It is a new life. The gospel life is a new life, and it's characterized by love and joy and peace. I know it sounds like Christmas, but that was when the life was given birth to us on earth. It's characterized by these qualities. 
Your life, my life, the gospel life, the experience of gospel must, must see these things at work and evident in our life. If this, if your life is bitter, if you're angry, if you're resentful, uh, if you are sarcastic, I see some of the people are sarcastic. They're looking around like, oh, man, now he's stepping on some toes. I like being sarcastic. It's my way of, you know, loving people and, and, and hating people in a way that makes it all equal. Well, that's your truth. But the truth that Jesus has says, love, joy, and peace will be your experiential gospel. They're compelling. Even in the world, they're very, very compelling. In Galatians, it says, against these things, there is no law. Here's an easy way to kind of look at that language. Against love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, self-control. There is no law. Here, here's a practical way to say, what does that scripture mean? Here's, here's a practical way to look at that. When you walk into the world, people will not fight you over those. They might ask you questions. They might think you're weird. But if you walk in the circumstances of your life, the good ones, the bad ones, the highs and the lows, with love, joy, and peace, the world will admire you. The world will admire you. The atheist will admire you. The Hindu will admire you. The humanist will admire you. Your voice will be heard differently as a person who characterizes their gospel experience with love, joy, and peace. I mean, when you have this lady, Denise Matthews, and she says, I just, probably the biggest thing is the joy I have every day. Really, if you have a hard life, but when you hear her talk, I, I want to sit down and talk with her. She isn't wearing me down. She sounds like she's nice. People like that tend to live above the day-to-day. -day. <clears throat> when I was in... Uh, we were in Colombia, uh, I think going into Bogota for a conference, and uh, folks from Medellin, uh, who are a poor church, they have, they have no money, and they're coming to the conference, they're very excited about this, there's, I don't know, 30 of them, something like that, and they're on a bus, and this was back, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, when you traveled in Col Colombia, if you did not travel by air, you would be kidnapped or robbed, it was just going to happen. So they take a bus from Medellin to Bogota, and the bus gets stopped by gorillas, and they get robbed, and they take everything from them, everything. So they're showing up in a city where they have no money, and they're here for like four days. And as we're sitting down with these people, and we're talking to them, and they're just, 
I mean, going on and on how excited they are to be here. It's just amazing. They're looking forward to this time. They're looking forward to meeting all the people and what God is going to do, on and on and on. And it wasn't for like two hours before I found out they are robbed at gunpoint. They don't have a penny on them. Even the little baby had a chain on the neck, and they took the chain off the baby's neck. That's not what we do. When we show up, the first thing we want to do is express to people how traumatic my life is. And everybody here should feel sorry for me and admire me. We were robbed at gunpoint. We were almost killed. Bless God. And now we have no money. He has let us down. God didn't protect us. We prayed like for 12 weeks before we got on that bus. Where was God? You see, if we heard that, we would not be surprised. We wouldn't say, where is your gospel? Why are you not experiencing your gospel in this moment? Because right now, this is a moment you need your gospel. Why have you laid down your gospel in a moment of need? They did not surrender their gospel. I heard an amen right over here. How far away is the gospel from our everyday experiences? How far away are we living from the gospel? That's living above the day-to-day. It's living in the gospel. The gospel will always represent humanity differently. God says, I'm going to make this easy on you, Bill. In this world, you have many enemies. Many people would like to kill you for lots of reasons. Some of them even know you. And we'd still like to kill you for lots of reasons. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it all very easy for you. As of this moment, under the power and the influence and the experience of the gospel, you now have no enemies. You have no one you have to get back at. No one you have to hate. There is no one you have to protect yourself from. There is no one you have to get the better of. There is no one that you have to prove that they're a liar because they lie about you. All that is gone. Your life has become far more simple. And in this moment, your charge is to live in the experience of the gospel and become a person of peace and a person of joy and a person of love to all those people, all people. You don't have to make a decision any longer about who to love or even who to like. I've taken care of all that. And I'm here to empower your experiences with the gospel, the good news. You see, Bill, the good news that has come to you 
is now going to everyone. Everyone in your sphere. The young, the old, those who accept it, those who reject it, it's still going out. An experiential life is characterized by hope. characterized by hope. Is there an appeal to the gospel for all people? Do they see your life? Do they see a life, a gospel experienced life and admire it? Is your life attractive? Do they see a life that has a secret quality? They don't quite know how you're doing it. You're always upbeat. You're always smiling. You never complain. What's up with that? Now, some of us, nobody's ever said that about us. But if you're living in the gospel experience, that could happen. Those words could be said over you and I. What's up with that? <clears throat> Years ago, in uh, our youth class on Sunday morning at the uh, Houston Vineyard when I was there, I had a girl been come in for about six months, and she was the girlfriend of, uh, of one of our regulars. And after about six months, it was after the class on Sunday morning, she just looks at me and says, and she's always got this, you know, kind of sour look on her face. She says, you people are just weird. And she's shaking her head. I said, well, I, I won't argue that point, but why do you bring it up? She said, I won't tell you what church she's from. She's from another church. She said, at my church, I thought that interesting. She'd been at our church for six months. She said, at my church, none of us are happy. That's what she said. We don't want to be there. We're just there because we're supposed to be there. I said, you know, with Jesus, you don't have to be that way. That's about Jesus. It's not about the church. You can be a joyous person in a really crummy church. You can be a sour person in a really great church. It's not the church. It's how you're experiencing the gospel. The good news about Jesus. <clears throat> I have to say that if you were to meet her today, she glows in the dark. She is such a gospel girl today. An amazing young lady. The gospel kind of breaks out this way, and we're just going to hit the top of this today. We can hear the gospel 
We can experience the gospel, speak the gospel, and do the gospel. That's what the gospel is about in each of us. We hear it. We experience what it does to us. We allow that experience to take place in us. We allow it to transform us. How do we do that? Because we accept the truth and we stand by the truth. When the truth says, Bill, you need to start being this way, then I step into that with the Holy Spirit because I know it is possible for me to have joy all the time. It's possible. Not only is it possible, but it will be important for my life to really redeem. Not only will that be true, but it will be important if I plan to speak and do the gospel, that joy becomes critical. Very often the gospel is silenced in us because quite frankly, we just, we don't have enough equity in the gospel, that if we share the gospel, somebody would have any capability whatsoever to see what it does for a person. So we're quiet. We have to allow the gospel to do what it does in us. We have to allow the gospel to do that. That means that we have to stand by the truth over and above our experience. We have to embrace that truth. We have to love that truth. And we have to know that that truth is what sets me free. You can't be an angry, resentful, cranky, bitter person and be effective with the gospel. First Peter three thirteen. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Of course, they would have to have some idea that you have a hope. They would have to be able to look at your life and see somehow your life is characterized by hope. If you are hopeless, if you sound hopeless, if you act hopeless, if you are hopeless, nobody is going to ask you to explain your hope. They're going to see you as Eeyore. Didn't know I knew who that was, did you? I'm not as old as you think. Actually, I'm every bit as old as you think, and I've never seen Edor in my life, but I heard people talk about him. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 5, we have this great imagery, uh, and it's, uh, it's a lot of verses. It's almost a whole chapter. So we're just going to kind of give a preemptive thing here. Uh, what happens is the apostles are preaching the gospel, and then they're arrested for preaching the gospel. Uh, 
They spend the night in jail, and in the middle of the night, the angel comes and opens the door of the jail and, and brings them out. All right, so we have incarceration. We have supernatural rescue by an angel. Now, does he rescue them to escape, to run to safety, to write a book, make a video, put it on YouTube, sell tickets? No. What he says is, go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about what? This new life. Isn't that great language? Are you experiencing the new life? Tell the people about the new life. When we struggle to understand how do I tell people about the gospel, why don't we start with the truth? It's a new life. It's the do-over. It's the reset. That's what I want you to do. Oh, I'm rescuing you. I'm taking you out of jail supernaturally so you can go do again exactly what you did to get put in jail. And the people who were mad at you the first time, just think how mad they're going to be this time. At this point, you're hoping God has thought out the consequences of this and has made some preparation, like made you bulletproof or something like that, or you got some of those transformers that are protecting you. I have seen transformers. At daybreak, they entered the courts and they began to preach the gospel. And then they see, oh, those are the very guys that got arrested. So they arrested them again. They took them back to the leaders. And the leaders said, we expressly told you not to preach in this guy's name. His response in 29, or their response, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must respond to the truth. It's the truth about the gospel. We have to speak of this gospel. We have to speak of this new life. We have been given an amazing role to speak of a new life. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Verse 32, the very next verse, the apostle said, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. In that interesting language, you see, we are witnesses of this. So is the Holy Spirit. There's someone else who is witnessing. There's someone else who is at play here. Whom God has given to those who obey him. This is a very telling spot here. Where we see what's really happening in the supernatural. They are partnering with the Holy Spirit. And they're both witnesses and testifying. In other words, God is very much a part of what's going on. Now, 
I want us to look back. What have they witnessed? What are they saying? We are witnesses of these things. We look back and we can go forward to do that because I just reprinted it. In verse 30, God is our ancestors, raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. God raised Jesus from the dead. He put him at his right hand and he made him prince and savior. And through that, we have a new life. The Holy Spirit testifies, is a witness. The people of the gospel, this is what we're experiencing. We have a prince, we have a savior. One who is more powerful than everything that breaks us. So, after one of their leaders said, hey, you better be careful with these guys. If they're just, you know, claiming the limelight, they're going to die and wash away, no big deal. But if you're not careful, you might actually be fighting against God here. There's a great wake-up call, isn't it? So here's what they did. Verse 40, and I kind of started in the middle of the verse. They called the apostles in, had them flogged. That's just a nice little short sentence, isn't it? Called them in, had them flogged, you know, kind of like called them in, debriefed them, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Well, how did the flogging happen? I mean, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do. It happens because we live in the tension of a fallen world. And it happens because God has the power for you and I to experience the gospel, even in pain and hardship. That's the nature of the gospel. Their response, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, the the religious leaders, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They were rejoicing because they got to suffer disgrace. I know I do that all the time. It is one of my favorite things. I want to get really physically, mentally, emotionally abused, and then I want to rejoice in the disgrace that it brought me. You see, they're experiencing the gospel here. And as you look at the scripture, you begin to see, wow, the gospel is really powerful. It has the ability, like in all circumstances, all moments, to trump whatever's going on. Yet we worry about everything that's going on. We worry and we conjure and we, we are anxious about everything. And what, what Jesus would say is, why? The gospel is there to experience. And once you begin to experience it, it becomes the greatest testimony on earth.
So when Denise Matthews, somebody says, you know, yeah, you have a great Savior. Let me ask you a question. Your kidneys are failed. Your eyeballs are failing. Your ears are failing. Your life is falling apart. So what part of this makes you think you're blessed? Isn't that a great question? You see, that's the human question. And she can say, you're looking at all the wrong stuff. You see, I was lost. I was lost. Now I'm found. I'm restored with my dad in heaven. My heart is full of peace. And I have joy. You're looking at all the wrong things. And here's the beauty of her life. She would be compelling with that. It would be a compelling response. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news, the gospel about Jesus. They never slowed down. We read in John about the Samaritan woman. It's a long story again. I have a few verses here from it. But the story is Jesus encounters this woman at the well. And they really have a discussion about worship and God and the Messiah. She begins to tell her, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for living waters. Then he tells her a little bit about her life. Just the Holy Spirit gave him some things to say that gave him credibility. When he says, go get your husband, she said, well, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had like five husbands, and the guy you're living with isn't your husband. Now, that would be a perfect opportunity for Jesus to break out some law, don't you think? I mean, this is a cut-and-dry case here. But the gospel is the good news about the new life. The gospel is always the good news about the new life. And that's what Jesus focused on. So this lady goes back to her town. She tells everybody about this guy. He's got to be the Messiah. Verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. All right, so she is now speaking the gospel. She is speaking the gospel. And people are saying, I receive that. I buy that. I want that. There's a good news that you are giving me that I want. He 
He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. I love verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. They received the new life. That is the only business the church is in. It's the only work we have. It's the gospel. But too many of us are trying to be the people of God without really having a gospel that we experience. One that meets us every day, every night. One that establishes joy and peace and love and hope as everyday parts of our life. So that we have a life that somebody can say, wow, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong. So tell me why you have this hope. We always think of the gospel as bringing truth in correction, but the gospel is about sharing with people Jesus. Have you, if you ask somebody this, have you ever really experienced the joy of Jesus? Have you ever experienced that joy? You see, does that indict anybody? They can say no. They can say yes. They can say whatever. They can say anything they want. But you come from your experience. The joy of Jesus. I knew it. I know you have. I know, but that's not my fight. I talk to uh, other Christians at work. They have no idea. I spend roughly about three hours an evening coming home. So yesterday, I'm coming home, and uh, the Lord told me, just turn the radio off. So I turned the radio off, and I'm 
Don't have no idea what's even going on around me. I don't even remember halfway getting home. But it was a little turmoil going. And the answer that I was getting, because I've, I've been questioning that vision all week, and what I was getting out of it is, is that the skull was, was representing death, that the lion or big cat or whatever it was was consuming. So the way I was looking is that, you know, unless we go turn our life over to God, then, then it's certain death. We're going to be consumed by it. And I didn't know if that was just for me or for anybody else. But I know it hit home would be pretty hard. You know, uh, my history, <coughs> I go back. I've done a lot of bad things in my time. I came here, I think, about, what, eight years ago, I think, somewhere in that area, eight, nine years ago. And we left for a while. And when you get out there, and it's like I've told Bill before, we walk out of here, I call this my sanctuary. I go outside, I'm in the world. So it's a constant battle. And the reasoning for leaving, I still don't know. But I know that when I came back, it was a battle about, you know, now, no, and then they all said it was yes. I come walking in. And I found that by being here, that it was my best choice. As I've been listening to Bill's sermon, and then I had that vision, you know, and, and then the other Christians I talked to at work all said the same thing, you know. It's time to give up the bad in the past and go with the new. So I've been, it's going to be a hard, <coughs> long trip, but I think with God's help, I can make it. But that, Thank you, that was a vision that I had. <clears throat> God <clears throat> is inviting both his people, his, his believers, maybe those who are not. He's saying, come to the new life. You'll have to give up your sarcasm, your anger, your resentment, your unforgiveness, and all the very valid reasons, all those exist in your soul. You have to surrender all those things that have become idols and embrace a new life. And he promises that the most vile, the most angry, the most resentful, hurtful, hardened person on the planet can become a person of love and peace and joy and hope. That's the good news. And it's for everyone. And when we begin to experience the gospel, when we let it arrest us, wherever we're at in our life and begin to produce what it always produces. The world will want to know 